Rise and shine, my sinners. When Father Evil starts his day, he gets a little deadly. Deadly Grounds Coffee has the richest, smoothest flavor you'll find anywhere. It's sinfully delicious. Once you go deadly, you never go back. Order yours at getdeadly.com. Coffee's so good, it's scary. This is Rigor, host of Then Is Now podcast, and welcome to episode two of The Cult Movie Lounge, where we discuss all cult films all the time. Joining me, of course, is my co-host, writer, and award-winning blogger, Robert Monell. So happy to be doing this with you, Robert. How you been? Good evening, Rigor. I've been very well watching lots and lots of Werewolf and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and Transformation movies. Awesome, awesome. And that being said, folks, we have got a jam-packed episode for you today as our topic, just in time for Halloween, is werewolf movies. Now, Robert's brought a list of films that we're going to go through, and he's going to give us a lot of history on them. But first, I wanted to give you, the listener, just a brief history of werewolves. Basically, every culture has a werewolf mythology or a variant thereof. Uh, Werewolves are, according to some legends, people who morph into vicious, powerful wolves. Others transform into a bipedal combination of human and wolf. Uh, But all of them are bloodthirsty beasts who cannot control their lust for killing people and animals. Now, nobody really knows where the werewolf legend originated, but some scholars believe the werewolf made its debut in the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is the oldest known Western prose. Uh, because uh, I guess basically Gilgamesh jilted a potential lover because she had turned her previous mate into a wolf. Werewolves also appeared in Greek mythology, like the legend of Lycaon, uh, or it might be Lycaon, I'm not sure, who was the son of Pelasgus, and he angered the god Zeus when he served him a meal made from the remains of a sacrificed boy. So as punishment, the angry Zeus turned Lycaon into, and his sons into wolves. Cannibalism, cannibalism. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Now, Nordic folklore also has werewolves, uh, such as in the saga of the Volsungs, about a father and son who discover wolf pelts that have the power to turn people into wolves for 10 days. Of course, then they go, um, I think the father transforms into, uh, goes on a killing rampage, and then uh, the father attacks the son, killing him, but then the son survives because a kindly raven gives him a feather, uh, the feather with healing powers. So I thought that was interesting. Um, And then down through history, we've got a bunch of uh, famous real-life so-called werewolves. In 1521, you had this French guy, Pierre Bergeau, and um, Michael Verdun allegedly swore legions to the devil and claimed to have an ointment that turned them into wolves. Uh, Another guy, Giles Garnier, was known as the werewolf of Dole. He was a 16th century Frenchman whose claim to fame was also an ointment with wolf-morphing abilities. 
Um, then we've got a guy in the 15th century, Peter Stubb, a wealthy guy in uh, Bedburg, Germany, who may be the most notorious werewolf of them all, because according to folklore, he turned into a wolf-like creature at night and devoured many citizens of Bedburg. So there's all different kinds of ways, at least according to our mythology, our worldwide mythology, where people can uh, turn into werewolves. It could be a curse, or they could be, like like we said, a, a cloak or a pelt made of wolf skin. Um, others claim, you know, being bitten or scratched by a werewolf will turn you into one. And then there's a lot of talk about the full moon affecting werewolves. And it was funny, I found that a study of 91 violent acute behavior incidents at the hospital between August 2008 and July 2009, 23% of those happened during a full moon. And this was in uh, Australia's Cavalry Master Newcastle Hospital. So they always say the full moon does affect actual people who aren't werewolves. Um, so that kind of lends itself to that. You know, and this, cultures have other creatures, such as werebears and jaguars. There's all kinds of animals where different cultures have myths that people can turn into them. A lot of what we know today about werewolves or what's in the pop culture, you know, silver or silver bullets, the pentagram appearing on the hand of the victim, the full moon, wolfsbane, those all came from the mind of Kurt Schodmack, who wrote The Wolfman in 1941, which was uh, an acclaimed and classic universal picture. So that's where a lot of modern day films sort of draw their inspiration from. Uh, I mean, we could just do a whole several shows on the history of werewolves, but I, I think the listeners get get the gist. Don't you, Robert? Yeah, I think so. Awesome. That's, awesome. A, that, that's a very good roundup, though, because that's I, I took some notes, too, and they're pretty much the same thing. So we'll go with what you said. I mean, that that is pretty much a, a concise history of werewolf mythology and, and literature. Yeah, yeah. So, Robert, you want to start off with some early films that have um, plots that are similar to werewolves, and a lot of the films we'll talk about are going to be ones that maybe people at home haven't heard, haven't seen or heard of before, correct? Yes, I did. Well, one of the things is, just to give a little, my own background, is I, I wasn't that interested in werewolf films when I was a, a, a kid. I, I was more into, like, the vampire films and the hammer films and the you know, other kind of films I saw at the drive-in, and there weren't that many werewolf films around when I was in the, in the 60s. There were some, but two in particular, uh, The Curse of the Werewolf, which I saw in the theater when I was 10 years old in the early 1960s, really impressed me, and I'll talk about that later. And also, uh, one of the things I found out when I went to college, I went to uh, Le Moyne College, I took a course, believe it or not, in horror, a horror cinema course, and one of the things the I didn't agree with a lot of things the professor said, but one thing he made a good point was that werewolf films are really films about transformation, a man or a woman trans transforming into shape-shifting, transforming into a beast, the, their lower self, okay? And that was a good point. And he said they could be also seen as films about, uh, you know, a sexual assault. They could be seen in films about serial killers. They could be seen as films about the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde uh, novella and concept, people turning into good people, turning into monsters, not only during the full moon, but when a trauma happens in their life. Okay, right, so, right. so we can go into all we can go into all those. But I've, I've just decided to take one aspect of that. The, the, there's a good writer. He died a few years ago. Colin Wilson, uh, British novelist. He wrote a lot of occult paranormal stuff. And he said in a, a nonfiction piece that. The Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde story, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde by Robert Louis Stevenson, published in 1886 during the Victorian era, 
was really about uh, the subtext of that was really lycanthropy because Dr. Jekyll was a really kindly character. He morphed into this really kind of sadistic person, Mr. Hyde, who beat women, who went out to bars, got into fights, you know, uh, murdered people, actually. Right. And uh, that's kind of what a werewolf does, only he didn't turn into a hairy wolf, okay? <laughs> so um, I just wanted to go through a few classic Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde films that maybe provide a background here. We can see some interesting similarities. Sure. Now, there's, there was one, I think the first, the, the, there were several made during the silent era, but I, I used to have a tape of the 1921 with John Barrymore. Oh, yeah. You know, it, it, was, it was very good, and I, I couldn't locate my old tape. I think it might be online, so people might want to look at that if they want to see a silent version. He was a very good actor, John Barrymore. Not only was he a good sound actor, a good sound movie, he was a good silent movie actor, and he did a very good job playing that. Right. Now, after that, there's the Frederick March version, 1931, mm-hmm. pre-code, pre-code, pre-Hollywood Hayes Code. There was all kinds of things in there that wouldn't have gotten made in a few years later. <laughs> yeah. They wouldn't have passed the code because there was, you know, um, all kinds of, you know, uh, sexual innuendos or partial nudity and really, really kind of hairy violence, you know, literally hairy and metaphorically hairy violence, you know. And uh, Frederick March won the Academy Award for playing Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Right. Now, in that one, he turns into like a physical werewolf. He, he becomes like hairy. He has like a simian-type face. Mm-hmm. He doesn't become a wolf, but he looks like a kind of an ape-man. Or He turns into something that looks horrible, okay? He's got that, I don't know if you saw the film, he looks very simian, very ape-like. He's got yeah. hair all over, and he's very violent, and he, he turns into a physical monster. And isn't now, that film well known for the the transformation scene? It's like yes. e- even to this day, people are still wowed by it. Right, right, exactly. And I, I think all the transformations since have been based on that, you know. Yeah. And that was done in 1931 before they had you know CGI and all that other stuff, you know, they do. But um, okay, the physical, the makeup, I think also was nominated for an Academy Award, but he actually won it. Yeah. Now it's, that's a really good version. Um, much more a more interesting version to me though was the Spencer Tracy version in 1941. Yep. Directed by Victor Fleming, who directed The Wizard of Oz and Gone with the Wind. I mean, big big films. You know what I mean? Now Spencer Tracy is great in that, but he uses almost no makeup whatsoever. There's there's no hairy person. There's no hair on his body. Yeah. There's no ape-like thing. He turns into like a, a kind of an elegantly dressed. Uh, very, he's still very handsome. Only he has like a mean look in his eyes. He has like he has his. He might have a little makeup on his brows to make them more furrowed. He has like this very nasty frown. No, no sharp teeth or anything. But he does it all with facial expressions. Yeah, I, re- I remember that as a kid. That it's just being wowed by his performance. Right, it's a great performance. I mean, that deserved an Academy Award too, especially since he had no makeup. He had to be become a, a totally different person. This very sadistic person. To do that just with facial expressions and the way he walked was more confident than Dr. Jekyll, who was kind of, you know, very shy and bent over a little bit. He was like very, he strutted. He had like a cane, which he hit people with. And uh, <laughs> he had like, he, he was walked erect. He had that tall Victorian hat. So that's a really impressive version. If you haven't seen it, some listeners haven't seen that, I would recommend it. They usually show it around this time of year. We're a few days before Halloween here. And that's. That's where I saw it. I hadn't seen it in years, 
I was really impressed with it this time. Yeah. I'm curious, do you happen to know if, um, because Spencer Tracy was more widely known for just doing mainstream movies, he very rarely, I think, except for this one, made forays into genre films. Do you think it? the reason he didn't have the makeup is that as an actor, he didn't want it and f- kind of felt that he could simply pull it off with his facial expressions? That, that's possible. He was a really... Uh... He was a really great actor. He could not only play, even in even in his non, not even in a film. Well, this is only his really only horror film I could think of. But even in his regular dramatic films, like he can play like a a, a very kind of a gentle person on the outside and troubled person on the inside. You know. Yeah. So he could he could suggest things like in Bad Day at Black Rock. He plays a one-armed man. Right. Comes into town. He seems like he's very. It seems like he's kind of very vulnerable, but then he start. Then we find out that he knows karate, and he beats, you know, he beats the hell out of like uh, <laughs> Lee Mar. He be, he beats Lee Marvin up with one arm, and he beats uh he beats Ernest Borgnine up with one arm. Right. You know? <laughs> so he, he he suddenly changes it to another person, you know. Yeah. So so he was he was good at that type of thing. I think maybe he took it as an acting challenge, and I think they couldn't. I I think they just didn't want to do another Frederick March type, you know. Uh, right morphing thing i think tracy probably or maybe the producers didn't want to put the money because this the, the frederick marsh thing was really expensive to do but he but it works really well i think it's one of the best adaptations of the classic story there is right right now i want to skip ahead a little bit to um the two faces of dr jekyll really really recommended film it's on D, it's on blu-ray i've got it on blu-ray now by Hammer Films, I think they made it in '59. It was released in '60. Paul Massey plays Mr. Hyde and the, the, the meek Dr. Jekyll, and it, it really got a lot of good reviews. But it, it it's a really unique take on the Dr. Jekyll, and Mr. Hyde. He's like a very Dr. Jekyll is once again. He's always in his laboratory. He's very gentle. He's got a beard. He looks like kind of a '60s college professor type, you know, very unthreatening. Right. He, but he neglects his wife, who's very, he neglects her like sexually. She's very sexually frustrated. And she's having an affair behind his back with Christopher Lee, who's a very handsome uh, guy who goes out at night to, to, to those strip clubs they had like in, the, in that <laughs> era where they were dancing around and showing their legs off. Yeah. And he, he's a gambler. He owes everybody money. But she likes that about him because he's, she considers her husband like a kind of a, a wimp kind of guy, you know what yeah. I mean? And she, she wants to be like manhandle kind of, you know, and she wants to have a sex life, which her husband can't give her. And so what he decides to do, he said, well, maybe I could cure my marriage and, and have a more uh, better social life and be more aggressive if I take this serum that I've been experimenting with animals on. Like he injects a monkey with it and the monkey becomes like a tearing apart his own cage. And before that, it was a, a gentle monkey, you know. So he says, I'm going to try to do this and become, a, you hear his thoughts, he goes, and he, he's arguing with another doctor, I'm going to try to become what I call a higher man, okay, a higher type, the higher mind, rather than uh, be this other character who's like very uh, shy and reclusive and very, um, I go for it, but he doesn't like to go outside. But what he finds out is that when he turns into Mr. Hyde, he, that's actually his lower nature because Mr. Hyde, Edward Hyde, he, he takes the medicine, he takes the serum. He go the first thing he does is go up to one of those uh, one of those clubs where they do the you know the dancing girls and uh, it's very rowdy in there and he's bumping into people and pushing people away. He 
he meets up with two prostitutes and he's like, you know, very rough with them. And he pushes one away and, uh, and you know, he's, he's got a lot, he's got money and he wants to meet her later and have, you know, an affair with her, the prostitute. And, and he's so mean to her that she says no. And Oliver Reed is in it, who I'm going to mention again in the future, who played a werewolf. And he plays like this thug who goes over and tries to say, hey, Mr. Hyde, you, Edward Hyde, you, you humiliated my girlfriend on the dance floor. And so Hyde, like, takes, you know, beats, beats him up and, like, slams him around with his cane. And that's Oliver Reed, who was, like, a really burly kind of guy. Oh, yeah. He looks very intimidating. And Paul Massey is, like, a, like a stage actor. <laughs> so he does a really good job playing Mr. Hyde. But once again, he does it without makeup, okay? There's no makeup. Uh, Dr. Jekyll has the beard. And when he becomes Mr. Hyde, he has, he's clean-shaven. And he actually looks more handsome than uh, Dr. Jekyll did, okay? Right, and his right. hair, his hair is Marcel. He's a better dresser. He, he dresses like with this, you know, three-piece tuxedo and the old, uh, you know, the old tie they had like in the 1800s, late 1800s. Yeah. So he's, he's once again, and he's very elegant. So once again, they, they did it in a similar way to the Spencer Tracy one. It was written by Wolf Mankiewicz, directed by Terrence Fisher, who directed the yep. the the Dracula and the Curse of Frankenstein, the yep. British versions of the 50s, which became very, very financially successful here. And he directed like over 20 horror films in the 60s. And this is one of the best Dr. Jekyll films, too. And I would highly recommend it. I, I got it on DVD. I think it was, I bought it on sale for like $10. And you got that and The Gorgon, another Terrence Fisher film by yep. Hammer, both really good films. And that's kind of got that undertone. Only that's about a woman who changes her appearance okay to right a, to a kill a killing monster a thing with the snakes coming out so that's kind of the same theme also yeah it's How funny like you know the, the two faces of dr jekyll is as a lesser known hammer film um yes, i've seen it yes. under the title jekyll's inferno i've never seen that under that title yeah sure. and um that's like that's the poster i think it's on on imdb that's the poster they show uh -huh. but it's yeah that's one of those ones that i never saw on TV as a kid. I caught it in my adult years on video, no, you, but um, they never played I. it. No, I, I never saw it. I was really waiting for Hammer Horror Films when I was a kid in the 1960s and yeah. teenager in the 70s. I was hoping to see it on TV, and they never showed it. They never showed it. Yeah. They never. I mean, maybe they showed it in New York, bigger city channels. I lived in a smaller town, and, but they never showed it around on any of the local channels. Never, ever. And I finally saw it on video in the 80s or something. Yeah, same here. And I was very impressed with it. Yeah. Now it's on. Now it's on Blu-ray. I would highly. That's one I would highly recommend. Yeah. Okay. Then, then there is another one I wanted to recommend. Basically, let me just say this final thing: the Two Faces of Doctor Jekyll. It's really a conversation about Nietzsche's Nietzsche's Friedrich Nietzsche's philosophy of beyond good and evil. Okay. About this supposedly uh, a man. He, he believes that uh, the Doctor Jekyll believes that. There's this man beyond good and evil. He's got a he's got a higher intellect. He's got a higher code. He's more aggressive. But he finds out that that, that man has a dark side, which he gets caught up in. Okay, so there is no beyond good or evil. There's just good or evil. Either right. you're good or you're evil. And he he does very evil things. And so it's kind of a almost it's almost like an intellectual script. It's it's very well written. And at the end, he's arrested. He he turns into he's the, Mr. Hyde, Dr. Jekyll, supposedly burns alive when the laboratory burns, but Mr. Hyde escapes, and pe the, the police and the, the, the court don't realize it's Mr. Hyde in the courtroom. They say, well, you're lucky to escape. 
Dr. Jekyll, he was mad, but then he turns into Dr. Jekyll in the courtroom, okay? Yeah. And they arrest him, they arrest him for murder. So he is going to be punished, but he's going to be punished as Dr. Jekyll. <laughs> so it's a very it's a very neat twist on Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. Nice, nice. You know, I now remember there was a, a you, I don't know if you watched Gilligan's Island, but they, uh, towards the last season, they would do the, they would have a, like a dream sequence every episode. Uh-huh. And there's one where he, I think he thought everybody was accusing him or something. So he has this nightmare that he's Dr. Jekyll put on trial and, <laughs> and he turns into Je- uh, Mr. Hyde on the stand. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. yeah, that's kind of what happens at the end of this film. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's, that's what made me think of it. It's very ironic. It's I'm, I'm, maybe the writer saw the movie. I don't know, but it's it's, it's very well done. It's it's the sets and everything. It really looks like it's taking place like in the, you know, that eighteen nineties or eighteen eighties or seventies. Yeah. Now, just to go back a little bit, there was also a film, American film called The Daughter of Doctor Jekyll. Okay. <laughs> now this was really a low, low, low budget film, directed by Edgar G. Ulmer who directed Detour. He was like a, he was like banned from the Hollywood studios in the 1930s because he had an affair with one of the Universal Pictures producers' wives. Okay? <laughs> he, he made the film The Black Cat in 1934, which is one of my favorite horror films. He was a very talented Austrian director working in Hollywood. He got blacklisted in Hollywood, and he ended up making very low-budget films, which are also very interesting. Right. Now, The Daughter of Dr. Jekyll made 1957, Star John Agar, who comes home with his wife, and they come to the house of Dr. Jekyll. And Dr. Jekyll was her father, and he, it takes place in the Victorian. Oh no, it takes place in the early 1900s because right, right. he got one of those early 1900 cars. Okay, maybe like 1915 or 1912 or something like that. Yeah. So they come to Dr. Jekyll's house, and her uncle's there, and he greets them, and and everyone suspects her when they find out she's there. All the neighbors. Um, who are like farmers, you know, know she's his Dr. Jekyll's daughter, and they suspect her of, you know, being some kind of female werewolf or female shapeshifter, and that she's going to go around murdering people. And and then people on the adjacent farms, some young women are killed, and their throats are torn open, and they think it's her. And her uncle, Dr. Jekyll's um she calls my uncle, but he was Dr. Jekyll's best friend. He says, no, she didn't do it. No, she didn't do it. Well, you find out at the end that the guy who was Dr. Jekyll's best friend, her supposed uncle, was actually continued on with Dr. Jekyll's experiments in a secret laboratory, and he's become a Mr. Hyde, and he's going out and doing all the local killings and blaming them on this young woman, okay? Right. And, but the only thing is, when, he's, when they show him turning him into Mr. Hyde, he turns into like a wolf, a, a werewolf. Right. He's got hair. He's got hair all over him. He's got hair growing out of his face. He looks just like the Wolfman. Okay. Yeah. So they they they, they kind of uh, it's a cocktail of kind of the Doctor Jekyll and Mr Hyde film and the a Wolfman film and a and a female vampire film because the women who are getting killed are blamed on her and they think she's a female vampire or werewolf. So it's a really bizarre little film. It's it's very very low budget. A lot of fun. Um, I have it on a DVD, but the that just goes to show you how the mythology can be uh, can be changed into something totally different. Right now, th- there's 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 one more I wanted to talk about too. It's a 1981 film, a French film called Doctor Jekyll et la Femme, Doctor Jekyll and the Woman. Women. Udo Kier plays Doctor Jekyll in the film. Oh, love Udo Kier. 
Yeah, he played, um, as you know, um, Dr. Frankenstein and Dracula in the Frank Andy Warhol's Dr. Yeah. Frankenstein and Dracula film. Very good um, German actor. And he plays, it, it all takes place once again in Victorian England. It was filmed in Paris, but it, it really looks like Victorian England. They did a lot of work. It just takes place in one set. It takes place during the soiree of the upper class soiree where Dr. Jekyll, who cares, getting engaged to, to this young woman, Miss Osborne. And, um, and they're all, they gave him, they give him this award for being a brilliant scientist. Okay. And, and, you know, it's all very civilized. And um, Patrick McGee is in it, a very good actor. Howard Vernon's in it. He plays this doctor who hates Dr. Jekyll. He says, I'm going to prove you to be a charlatan. And so there, there's all these upper class people at the soiree is in this, you know, uh, Victorian drawing room. And what happens is during the party, it's like an afternoon to evening party the last four hours. He goes up into his laboratory and he's running out of serum to, you know, to um, stay in his hide, to stay in his Dr. Jekyll mode. And he starts turning into Mr. Hyde during the party. Yeah. He starts, he starts attacking the party guests. Okay. He, he like gets this one guy who's going to the bathroom, he <clears throat> cuts his throat out and then goes back into his like uh, laboratory and changes back into Dr. Jekyll again. Then he changes back to Mr. Hyde a few hours later and kills this woman who's, uh, who's you know, getting her coat to leave, you know. And so he's killing, he's, and he ends up killing, like, almost everybody in the, in the party in different ways. And he locks all the doors, and he's, he's got all the people trapped at the end. And he's, he's just turned into Mr. Hyde, and he doesn't have any more serum or, you know, antidote to turn back into Dr. Jekyll. So he can't, so he's just a monster, Mr. Hyde. And the, the guy who plays Mr. Hyde is another actor, Okay. Hmm. He's very, he's very, very ugly guy. Okay, <laughs> he's bald. He's got a beak nose. He's got these hateful eyes. He's always like kind of got, he's like foaming at the mouth kind of guy. So he's totally the opposite physically, and it's very, it's a very violent film. There's a lot of blood and gore in the film, a lot of nudity at the end. So it was an, uh, it would be an X-rated film if it played in the U.S. Or, you know, be, I think it, I don't think it was ever played theatrically in the U.S. But it's 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 now on DVD. You can find it, and I think you can find it on Amazon. But it's a very it's a very very kind of sexploitation kind of Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde <laughs> with a lot of violence in nineteen eighties type violence. And what's the name of that one again? Uh, Doctor Jekyll et la femme. Oh, Doctor okay. Jekyll, Doctor Jekyll and the women. Right. Okay. It's, it's, and there's another one called the, the Case of Doctor Jekyll and Miss Osborne. That's another. That was the title in Britain. So it has different titles, right, but it's right. on it's it's on Amazon. It's a really good film. It's a, it's really well done. Udo Kier is is just excellent playing Doctor Jekyll because he just seems like this really kind of gentle, very intelligent, misunderstood guy, and he's a very good actor. But um, it, it's a very interesting film. Once again, if you can find it, I'd recommend it. But very, 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 very um, different. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And uh, and for for this story, so I think those are some of the more interesting. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde films. Okay? Well, uh, before you get off that topic, I wanted to ask if um, what your opinion was of the 1971 Hammer film, their other foray into the Jekyll mythos was Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde. Where... Right, I didn't see I didn't see that. Never saw it. Oh, you that. haven't seen that? Oh, okay. Yeah, it's no, really interesting because he, he turns into a woman who's a killer. Right. And that always baffled me as a kid. <laughs> well, in the daughter of Dr. Jekyll, he supposedly turns into... A woman supposedly turns into the killer, but you find out it's not true. But in this film, she she really does turn into a killer, then, right? 
Yeah, he turns into a she, and she's the killer. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that doesn't happen. The daughter, Doctor Jekyll. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So she does. Is it very gory? Is it very? Uh, I don't remember. It's that early seventies Hammer. So yeah, there was probably they probably upped the um the the blood factor and the boob factor. It's been right, a while since I've seen it. But uh, Ralph Bates right. plays Henry Jekyll, and Martine Beswick plays Sister Hyde. Oh right, yeah, she yeah she was very good playing those type of roles. Right. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah, and it's a Roy right, no. Roy Ward Baker directed it. So right. Oh, he's a very good director. Yeah. Yeah, he he directed um the tight the good titanic film <laughs> night to remember he's, right yeah <laughs> he, he, he was uh, i actually liked that film better than the james cameron film but yeah was, that, that's that's off that's off topic sorry about that. okay <laughs> but but yes no i haven't seen that i will see it someday yeah i would i would imagine that might even be on youtube so i'll check it out oh yeah now another another element i want to talk about here was go i want to go right i'm going to go right into the paul nashy the the Spanish kind of the king of Spanish horror. He made twelve werewolf films. That's a lot of films. A lot of werewolf films. Just just about where, him playing a werewolf. And after that, I'm going to go into some of the history of the werewolf films, starting in the 1930s and 40s. Finish up with that. But the Paul Nashy films. He played this character. He was like a minor actor in Spain in the early 60s. Okay, he played like in a few thrillers, a few gangster films, and um, and then he decided, he, he, he was also a scripter, he decided to write this film about this character named Waldemar Daninsky, who's turned into a werewolf by one of his relatives during, a, when he's, 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 he's exploring this old house and the werewolf's there and bites him. And the film became a hit in Spain, okay? It was called La Marca del Hombre Lobo, or the, or the Mark of the Werewolf. And he, he just made, he made, he made 11 more films over the next 20 years, and they were all they were all big hits. They were hits in Spain and Europe. Some were hits in the U.S. Some were exported to the U.S. Not all of them, though. He, he's he's somewhat well known in the U.S. by cult movie fans. So that's where the cult movie lounge comes in here. We're gonna look <laughs> at Paul Nashi's career. I don't know if you've ever heard of him or seen any of his films, but they're all very interesting in very different ways. Oh, of course. I'm a big Paul Nashi fan. In fact, um, our friend Rod Barnett has a show called The Nashi Cast that he's been right. It was one of the first podcasts I ever heard was an episode of that. Yes, and I, I just can't recommend um, Rod Barnett. I can't recommend Rod Barnett's Nashi Cast enough. That is the place to go for Paul Nashi information and comment. So the Nashi Cast is great. All of all of Rod Barnett's podcasts are great, you know. I've also worked with a few on a few DVD commentaries with him, and he's a great partner. He's very well researched and really knows what he's talking about. Yeah. But the Nash the Nash cast is, is his baby. It's his 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 uh, golden rainbow. Okay. Yeah. But highly recommended. Well, um, so Paul Nash, this was made in 1968. This film, I don't think it ever showed in the United States, believe it or not. And but it was a big hit. Like in, it was a German co-production. Was a hit in Germany in Spain. And then he made another film called Assignment Terror or um, uh, with Michael Rennie. It was a werewolf film. That was made in Spain, too. Yeah. One of Michael Rennie's last films. I don't think that ever played in the U.S. It, unless it played under a different title. It, had, it has a number of different titles. Right, right. Uh, Paul, Michael Rennie, who played in The Day of the still plays an alien in this also, you know, who comes <laughs> to Earth and he, like, gets all the earth monsters like the werewolf the frankenstein and the dracula he gathers them at a castle in spain to 
take over the world, you know. <laughs> so it, it's kind of it's kind of like a comic book. It's kind of like a almost like a kids. There wasn't there wasn't that much violence or boobs or anything like that. And it's kind of like a just a fun film. But yeah, I really never I never got a chance to see it like until the nineteen eighties or when it came out on DVD here and some. It was on bootleg DVDs. Now finally, they have, I've only got to see the uncut DVD, good, a good high definition version on the Blu-ray. I'm sorry, on the Blu-ray, where it did have an official Blu-ray release in America in the last few years. Yeah. Under the under the title of uh, uh, Assignment Terror. Okay. Yep. Um, so that was the second one. The third one was uh, uh, one called Fury of the Wolfman. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was made in '70. It's on a lot of these multiple movie sets you get like 40 movies or 100 movies for a certain amount of money it, it was a very very low budget production again and but it was it did play in america at grindhouse theaters i guess you know yeah oh yeah is that the, the one direct- where where Voldemar daninsky turns into the wolfman in the disco and he's killing all the disco dancers no no that that i'm gonna get to that one. Oh, okay <laughs> but that, that's gonna be next okay or, or second to next yeah no this one he's a scientist and he goes to Tibet. At the, he's in the Tibet at the beginning of the film. He's attacked by a, a yeti, okay? Oh, right. And, and I don't know what... And he also... I'm going to get to another song that I talk about where he, he actually fights a yeti at the end. And somehow that turns him into a werewolf, okay? And But he does. it's not another werewolf. It's a yeti, supposedly, in, in, this, in this 1970 film. And it's never explained how, how he turns... Why a yeti bite would turn him into a werewolf. But it does. <laughs> It's a very low budget, kind of cheap looking film. The the director I read Paul Mason autobiography. The director of the film had an alcohol problem, I guess, and didn't really know how to direct it. And um, he was arguing. Nashy had arguments with him, and they they changed the script, so he didn't like it. And it's kind of like a very Mickey Mouse kind of werewolf film, but it's a lot of fun. Okay, it's kind of one of those, you know, uh, what they call them, like a, you know, one of those delightful, you know, uh, movies that you know has got a lot of problems. But you still enjoy it. A guilty pleasure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I recommend it as that. But it, it's, it, it's also the makeup isn't as good as other films. Now, in, in 1970, he made another werewolf film called Werewolf versus the Vampire Woman. Yeah. Uh, which was a huge hit in Spain, and it started a whole Spanish horror boom. That's for all the Spanish horror films. It was such a big hit in Spain, in Europe, that it be, you know, Manashi got. No problem financing a lot more films about zombies, about uh, werewolves, about uh, we played like uh, the hunter. He played a hunchback in one film. And yep. He was kidnapping people. All kind of cannibal films. He made all kinds of films because this film made him bankable in Europe. Okay. Right. Now I think I think it played in the U.S. Um, I remember the first time I saw it was on a cheap video uh, back in the 1980s. I didn't get a chance to see it until like. The video here when I until I got a, my first VCR called Blood Moon that was and it was really cut there was like 15 minutes cut out of it it kind of didn't make any sense and um, he's like fights a vampire woman who's like lives near his castle and they like have a fight at the end and it, it's kind of a neat little film you know yeah it's much it's much better made than his earlier films to a certain extent and it was, it was made very professionally made by Leon Klamovsky a director you have to work with yeah Argentinian director so. So good for him. He made a film which was a big hit. Now, his next film was the film that you just mentioned. This was uh, Dr. Jekyll. This was Dr. Jekyll. 
versus the Wolfman. Okay, right, this is right. Doctor Doctor Jekyll and the Wolfman. And the Wolfman, okay? yeah. Doctor Jekyll. It's got once again. This has different titles. Okay, <laughs> and, and, and that's the thing. Some of these films with different titles will drive you crazy. Okay. Okay, so the Doctor Jekyll and the Wolfman. He's playing once again uh, a werewolf. Okay, and he's like a. He comes from Transylvania or the place he's from, and he puts himself under the, he comes to London to meet this woman, and he puts himself under the care of Dr. Jekyll, okay, who's living <laughs> in London, but it's a relative of Dr. Jekyll, okay, it's Dr. Jekyll's grandson, okay? Yeah. And, uh, and so if, if you can believe that, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's Dr. Jekyll's grandson, and... Uh, and he puts himself under the care of Dr. Jekyll's grandson, you know, to supposedly cure him. Now, what Dr. Jekyll does, he um, starts this therapy with drugs to, you know, to, to bring out the Dr. Mr. Hyde character. Then they're going to, like, kind of try to get him out of his personality and bring him back as, you know, um, bring Waldemar Daniski back as himself. So it's the same formula as Dr. Jekyll used, only in reverse, and Dr. Jekyll's grandson tries to cure him, but it doesn't work. Dr. Jekyll's jealous assistant ends up, you know, hyping up Waldemar Daniski with another drug, which turns him into like a, a, a combination of not only Dr. Jekyll, but of the Wolfman. So he turns into Dr. Jekyll for about a day or two, and then he turns into the Wolfman for another day or two. And he goes out and kills people in both this in both incarnations. Right. So he's a he's both a wolf man and Mister Hyde. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so there's one scene where he goes to a nightclub as as Mister Hyde to pick up his. And there's more sex and violence in this film too. It's pretty violent. And there's a lot of nudity. And he pick, he's going out to this nightclub. He wants to pick up a prostitute as Edward Hyde. He's got the you know once again he's dressed up as Edward Hyde. It takes place in modern London. But he's dressed up as Mr. Hyde in Victorian London with a high hat, you know, and the yep. clothes. I don't know where he gets them. <laughs> and he's in the disco, and all of a sudden, it cuts to a full moon, and he turns from Mr. Hyde in the disco into the werewolf. Right. Into the wolf man, and he starts attacking the disco dancing. <laughs> he, attacks the, <laughs> he, he attacks the disco dancers. He's attacking all the people in the nightclub as the wolf man. And then he runs out, and he becomes Mr. Hyde again. Okay, so it's a, it's a really kind of crazy, interesting film. I, that's kind of one of my favorites of his because it's got it's got like two different monsters in it. You know, right, know. right. <laughs> and, and then he dies really tragically at the end. Okay, now we go from there to you know his, and once again, we're, that was like his fifth or sixth. Another film called The Night of the Howling Beast. Okay. Yep. Now, this is yet another film incarnation, but the title I've seen it under and have on Blu ray is called The Werewolf and the Yeti. Right. And this, this was made in 1975. Now, it's got the same plot as the film I'm going to talk about a little bit later as The Werewolf of London, okay, which was made in 1935 in Hollywood, okay. So it's. <laughs> So the plot is like 40 years old. Maybe you thought everybody would forget this whole film. But it's got the same plot as that film, whereas, because in that film, the um, 
the wolf, and that's a that's that's a Wolfman film, okay? Um, the werewolf of one. That, that film, the 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 scientist goes to to find a a plant uh, which has a drug to Tibet. He's a he's a herbologist also, you know, and he's yeah. He's going. He, he's an expert in plants. He goes to find this. He's in a remote part of Tibet. He's trying to find this this plant as kind of a stimulus to turn him, you know, to uh, turn himself, you know, um, to get rid of his uh, supposed, you know, ill intentions. In other right. words, he's 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 pictured as a very unpleasant person even before he turns into a werewolf. He's very nasty. He's very mean to his wife. He neglects his wife. He's not a he's not a positive character, right? <laughs> he, he, he and he's very cruel to other scientists. And he's he's somebody you don't want to invite to a party. He's a very nasty kind of person, and um, so he goes to his wife doesn't want him to go. So he goes to Tibet and he finds the plant. But he's as he's collecting the plant off the side of a mountain, he's attacked by another by a werewolf. Okay, who bites him and he turns into a werewolf. But I'll get back to that. In this one, he's a uh, once again, he goes to uh, Tibet at the beginning of the film with some scientific party. Only there, after the Yeti, like the scientific, the lead scientist tells him, "Well, we have pictures of this something called the abominable snowman, the Yeti, that another party took, another scientific party, and they they were all killed by this ape-like monster." But it, but it wasn't a werewolf, he says. He goes, "It was what's called the abominable snowman. It was a Yeti." And so he shows him pictures of him, and it, it really looks kind of fake he shows him like a he shows him like the scalp of a yeti which doesn't it doesn't look that impressive but he goes to tibet and what happens is he he gets captured paul nash he gets captured by this tibetan these tibetan bandits who are really sadistic and they take him to this castle in tibet and they torture him they strip him down they 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 skin people alive there. It's really graphically violent, you know. They oh yeah. They show all these bloody tortures, and um, and they're going to kill him. And uh, yeah, but but he but he he escapes the tortures. And he's out in the woods in Tibet, okay. And he gets bit by a werewolf, okay. And he turns into a werewolf out there in Tibet and starts killing everybody in Tibet, okay. You know, wanders in the it all takes place in this very snowy wasteland. Okay, and um, he comes back and he kills the bandit's leader. His girlfriend's been kidnapped by him, and he escapes with her. And at the end of the film, they're in this field, and all of a sudden, the Yeti appears, <laughs> and, and he and he turns into the Wolfman. And you get the, the ending is the epic battle between Waldemar Daniski, Paul Nashi, and the Yeti. Okay, yeah, but they, they they both look like werewolves to me. It's all shot from like in the dark. It's hard to even see and. They're just like tearing each other apart, growling. You hear a lot of growling. But he kills the Yeti, and then his girlfriend finds the flower, and he cures him. And he's cured at the end of the film. And he he he's, now that's the only Paul Nashy film, and one of the the only ones that I've seen where he survives and gets cured at the end. Right, right. And the the funny thing about the Nashy um, Valdemar Daninsky films too is that there really is no continuity. Between no, them, he's, he just well, he he always dies at the end. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Is then he's introduced again as the next one, but in this film he doesn't die. Yeah, and I think I think the reason he doesn't die is he wanted because he wanted to make more werewolf films. And he didn't he didn't want to, he didn't want people to always think of him as being dead or thought maybe the people would lose interest in the character if he keeps keeps dying. You know. Right, right. <laughs> but he he did make another one after that called The Night of the Werewolf, 
which is kind of a remake of the werewolf versus the vampire woman, which was also a big hit. So it was it was a smart move on his part to stop killing the start ki- stop killing himself on screen. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that, that's one of my favorite Doctor Jack and the Wolfman are two of my Nashy favorites. I mean. Uh, now, Doctor Jack and the Wolfman. There's no really good DVD of that around that I can that I'm aware of. I, I like to. I hope, I hope that someday they release a Blu-ray on it. If, if there is one, pardon my ignorance, but th- that really deserves to be on Blu-ray. I do have a, a Blu-ray of the Werewolf and the Yeti. And, uh, Mark of the Wolfman, his first film, is also a very good film. That hasn't been released on Blu-ray yet. So some of his films are still um, Mark of the Wolfman. Or, or Wolfman, Werewolf versus the Vampire Woman, that's coming out on ultra-high definition in a few months. Okay? Right. Which I don't have. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to go back now, okay? We kind of skip forward to Paul Nash. He, he's kind of like a separate case, so you kind of have to do him separately, you know? Yeah. Because a, a lot of Americans or even American horror fans don't know him or don't know that much about him. I just wanted to give them a background, background on him, and some of his films are worth watching. <clears throat> Oh yeah, they. Okay. I think they're all great. And you know, um, before you continue, I just wanted to mention too that um, uh, the way you were describing the films, because I haven't seen them in in a while. Um, I've seen some of his other ones, but um, recently. But anyways, um, they just remind me. The plots remind me of like Mexican horror films, like the Mexican right. wrestling movies. It's just right. they just throw every monster in the kitchen sink. And right. everything goes. <laughs> yeah, with the, with the Irish, Paul Nash is a real huge fan of uh, the old Universal horror films. Okay? Right. In fact, he made a film, Howl of the Devil, which also was one of those werewolf films. Yes. Which is dedicated to Universal films, okay? The Universal horror films. So he's a big, so a lot of his mythology and things in his films comes from the old films. And what doesn't come from the old films is a lot like Mexican horror. I mean, the Mexican horror films, I mean, he made a, you know, there's, there's werewolves in several of the Santo Mexican wrestling films. Okay? Oh, yeah, yeah. Where, where Santo in Blue Demon, there's one, with Blue, there's one yep. with Blue Demon fighting a werewolf. A, a doc, you know, this guy who's turning himself into a werewolf, a, a scientist. And that one's called, uh, I think it's called, uh, you know, the Blue, the Blue Demon versus the... Um, Versus the silent horror or something like that. I can't remember. I can't. It's, it's just a. It's just a Spanish language title. Okay. It's oh, Demonio Azul. Okay. Yeah. Uh, El Demonio Azul, which is the, the blue demon versus this kind of nameless horror, which is a werewolf. The blue demon is one of the Mexican wrestlers who wears like a yeah. a blue wrestling cape. Okay. And mask. <laughs> and mask. And Santo was the white guy who dresses on. He's like the Lone Ranger of the. You know. Yeah. The, He's a good guy of the wrestlers, and uh, so there's. I haven't even seen all of the Mexican werewolf films. I mean, you could do a whole s- series on. I mean, I just, <laughs> I don't, I just, I just collect and purchase and get the ones that I like. You know, and yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't, I don't want to have every Mexican movie in the world. You know, my collection. <laughs> so some of them aren't that good, but, you know, and. Uh, uh, I, I have a few Santo films which I like seeing. Yeah, but none of the werewolf. Films. There's a bunch of really well, um, uh, beautiful prints of Santo movies on uh, Tubi right now. And, oh, really? Okay, yeah. thanks for telling me that. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, and we had um, over on the Fright Lounge. We are, you know, our monthly uh, live horror video series. We had Juan Ortiz from the B Movie Cast on, and he's an expert on Mexican horror movies. And we talked a lot about the the Santo films and like you know Santo and Blue Demon versus Dracula and the Wolfman and right, right. all these great great movies. So yeah, that, that is one I have. I have 
Santo and Blue Demon versus Dracula and the Wolf Man. You got both of them, and that's that's like a longer. It's like an hour. It's like an hour and forty five minutes long. And it's, yeah. it was a little more expensive. It has good special effects. Yeah, that's one of the better ones. Yeah. And I would if if that's on Tubi, that's a good place to start with Santo films. <laughs> right. Right. Okay, so you were talking about um, how Nashi was inspired by the Universal films, and I think you wanted to move on to those films? Well, it's not only the Universal films. The Werewolf, um, the, the, there's, there's one film called The Werewolf, which was made in 1913, which I guess is a Hollywood film. I haven't seen it. It's probably some, maybe two real shorts made before that. I haven't seen that. Really, the first serious werewolf film that I have in my collection that I, which is kind of like my favorite of the Universal films, is The Werewolf of London, 1935. Yeah. Excellent film. Oh, yeah. And once again, the, it's about a scientist. He's kind of like very nasty, edgy kind of guy. He's very pompous. He's very uh, sociopathic. He hates, he, ha- he doesn't like his wife to go out alone. He doesn't want her to go out to dinner or lunch with her her girlfriends or her lady friends. He's very insanely jealous. He's a very nasty character. He just likes being in his lab all the time. He's very controlling. He's, he treats his, his hired help very poorly. But he goes to Tibet to find this plant, which supposedly is supposed to have personality-changing uh, powers. Right. And he gets attacked by a werewolf, played by Warner Oland, in, uh, in Tibet at night. And he gets bitten. He comes back to London. And he finds himself being turned into a werewolf during the full moon. Now, the makeup in this is very different from all the other werewolf films, okay? All the other wolf men. You can still see it's his face, but he's just got like a kind of a widow's peak, and the hair is a little sticking out, and his ears are a little bit, are a little bit pointed, and he's got like a, some, on the, some on the side of his face. But it kind of looks like a guy who's very who's very kind of uh, wolfish looking, okay? It's not really, it's not, it's not really a different creature. It's like a man who's, who's, uh, who's facial, whose face is, has a kind of a more wolf quality to it, okay? Very, very light makeup. It's not the hairy, hair all over makeup like of Lon Chaney Jr. in The Wolf. Right. So the makeup is very, very good in it, and it's very effective. It's more believable. And, uh, didn't he? Comp- didn't the actor Henry Howell? He didn't want Jack Pierce to put the makeup on him. He did it himself. That might be it. I don't know. That, that, that's what I've heard. When, yeah, Henry Hall, very good. He's a very good actor. He does. He's he. I would imagine like Jack Pierce also did the Lon Chaney Jr. makeup, which is very different. Right. Okay? So somebody got somebody. He either Jack Pierce. The makeup man had a change of con- werewolf concept, or he was forced to change it by the actor or the director in the Werewolf of London because it did change. It changed drastically. Okay. Yeah. Well, because I mean, the seen... Wolfman doesn't come until what eight years later, something like that. Right. Yes. Yeah. Well, it, uh, six years later. Six years later. Yeah. Six. Six. Yeah. Six or seven years. Nineteen forty. Forty-two. I think it is. Forty-one. Forty-two. And so, yeah, something changed. Like Jack Pierce is one of the great makeup people in all of horror okay he was he was working into the 1960s you know right and um and he's uh so he had it and he was the man uh, the universal studio just trusted him to do the makeup okay so but he did that kind of makeup that light makeup for werewolf one so either that was his concept or 
maybe it was Henry Holmes not wanting to be have hair all over himself. I don't know. I've heard different stories. Um, I assume it was a makeup artist, but Henry Holmes might just not wanted to have that kind of you know look like just a hairy beast, you know. Right. But I think I think it's actually much more effective than the uh, Wolfman makeup later that he did. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 really he looks really scary. But he's not a total beast. Now, and then the Wolfman comes along six or seven years later, Lon Chaney Jr. Now you have the makeup where he's trans. He's bitten by Bela Lugosi in the first scenes. He's a regular guy. He's not like a scientist like Henry Hall. He's not an intellectual. He's like a he's like some kind of engineer American. He's over visiting his father Claude Rains, and he's bitten by Bela Lugosi at a at a psychic fair, and uh, he beats Bela Lugosi. To death, he, when you see Bell Lugosi on the ground, he's just like a kind of like a big dog, you know. Right. So, uh, <laughs> so it's 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 not clear, but he starts turning into the Wolf Man that we know, and it's we all know so well. And he's got hair all over, you know. His his head's all hair. He's got hair all over his feet, his hands, everything. He's just covered with hair. Totally different from the Werewolf of London. And it's uh, he's a he's played as a pathetic victim too. He's not nasty like the werewolf of London was, even when he wasn't a werewolf. He was he wasn't a nasty character when he comes to werewolf. He was a this real kind of nice average guy. He was like somebody see walking up the street who wouldn't be. He, he's he's a werewolf as victim. Okay, right. He wasn't he wasn't this nasty guy who turned into like this wolf who who has a lot to, who with the, the wolf thing he becomes in the werewolf of London. Maybe is his real self, you know what I mean? His real nasty self being pictured. In Wolfman, it's not. It's a whole different beast. Right, right. And he's very pathetic. He's very victimized. He's finally killed at the end by his own father with a silver cane. Yep. But that's where the, that's where the whole silver bullet, I believe, comes in, or silver killing the wolf. Yeah. It's, it's not a silver bullet. It's a cane. A lot of the mythology, you know, like even those who say their prayers by night will become a wolf. When the wolf bang blooms and the wolf and the moon is bright at night, yeah, you know that that poem that's in there for the first time, yeah. That and, and all that make and all the thing about the silver bullet, that poem, the, the God, have mercy seeing, on your soul. seeing the pentagram yeah, that, in the victim's hand, yeah, seeing the pentagram, all that stuff goes right through to to like for forty years later, or, or to um, or forty five years later to the howling, yeah, because the howling the howling has all the the werewolf mythology of the Universal films. Bill Joe Dante, who was a film critic, and John Sales, who was a film buff, very good writer, novels and screenplays, knew the old werewolf films and put a lot of their knowledge of the film history into that film. Oh yeah, yeah. Album, which we'll get to that. Okay, right. that's one of the great ones. That's one of the, maybe the last <clears throat> great werewolf film. And oh, by the way, I'm not really going to talk about this, but John Landis, who directed an American Werewolf in London, which was a big hit. Yeah, seen it. I saw 35 millimeter just a few years ago. Still works. Still very good film. Great makeup. You know the wolf on its, you know, on all fours. He's a big. He's a big fan of Paul Nash. Okay. You know. Uh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. John, John Landis, the director, is a, he collects Paul Nash films. He met Paul Nash. Paul Nash came over here and made a. Paul Nash actually made a, uh, a werewolf film over here for. Um, I think it was Fred Olin Ray made it, uh, one of those old budget filmmakers, yeah. and uh, he made a werewolf film over here. I think, and um, I did see it on video, but I don't remember much from it. it wasn't It wasn't as 
you know, atmospheric or as interesting as the ones he made in Spain, but it was all right. It was watchable. And um, he, he, Fred Olin Ray, and a lot of American directors are big Paul Nashi fans, John Landis is. And um, so there's a lot of, uh, of uh, Paul Nashi stuff carried over into an American werewolf in, in London. Right. And Paul, Paul, John Landis is also a fan of the universe. I mean, everybody's a fan of the universal films. Yeah. We all saw him. We all saw him in, as kids, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but in any case, he's pathetic in The Wolfman. He's killed by Claude Rains. Then he made Frankenstein versus The Wolfman. He's, it begins with him buried in the crypt. He's dead. The Claude Rains father figure is, is, in the, is, is in tomb. He died of grief after killing his own. We told that. But then two grave robbers open, you know, uh, Larry Talbot, Lawrence Talbot. You got to call him by his name. The werewolf is Lawrence Talbot. Right. Open Lawrence Talbot's tomb, open Larry's tomb, and he comes out and kills him. And he's on he's on the road again. He's on you know he's you know the same old same old. He's out killing people. He find he meets a male and female doctor. They try to cure him, but then they find the frozen body of you know Frankenstein, who's played by of all people Bella Lugosi, right? <laughs> Who turned <laughs> down the role the role previously? <laughs> right. So that what what happens is they they lose interest in curing, you know, Larry Talbot, Lawrence Talbot, the world is, and they, they want to bring the Frankenstein monster back to life, which they do. And, it, and but, but then they, but then the dam breaks and they escape and, and, and the, the whole castle is inundated with water as the werewolf is fighting Frankenstein at the end. So you think they're both killed at the end. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, he does meet, Frankenstein, but it's only for the last five minutes of the film. Well, okay. the Frankenstein monster, we should say. Yeah, Frankenstein monster, right, right. exactly. I think what they wanted to do, too, I, mean, I love that movie, the, the Wolfman and Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, and I think right. what the plan originally was is it was going to somehow, they were going to drain the energy from the Frankenstein monster, and that would somehow kill Larry Talbot, because, you know, of course, Lon Chaney Jr. does an awesome job portraying him as the reluctant werewolf, like you said, um, right. and he just wants to die. And so that, but then the doctor kind of goes, I, I can't do it. I can't destroy Frankenstein's creation. So he reverses it, and then right. the monster becomes stronger, and that's when they have their epic battle. Right. And they have the epic battle, but that's only for the final scene in the film. They right. have the epic battle, and they're both washed away. Right. So, yeah. the, so the next film turns out to be the House of Frankenstein, okay, where um, Boris Karloff is an escaped murderer, escaped convict, yep. and Jake Carroll Nash is his hunchback assistant. They discover the uh, Frankenstein monster is played by, by Grinch Strange. They discover the Frankenstein monster is frozen in this underground tunnel, and they discover Larry Talbot is Larry Talbot is the Wolfman, okay? So he's revived by this evil um, you know, convict scientist. Boris Karloff, who's very good. He, Boris Karloff is a very kindly person. And this is great as kind of an evil scientist, okay? Yeah, Dr. Neiman. Dr. Neiman. And so he's he's going, he's sending out the Wolfman and Frankenstein to kill all his enemies who testified against him and put him in jail, okay? Yeah. <laughs> like, the, like the Burgermeister and the local sheriff, you know, and the townspeople. He's, he's, he's killing them all off to get revenge. And that's only like an hour and ten minutes or hour and five minutes. It's a short film, but there's a lot of action in it, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, Dracula shows up by John Carradine and the Frankenstein monster, the werewolf. I mean, there's a lot of action, a lot of monster characters. <laughs> yeah, but the film I really want to focus on, even over that, 
is the, the next film that he made is uh, House of Dracula, okay? Right. Now, this, so this is a very, very, very interesting film. It's like uh, he's, he's finding out that Larry Talbot, once again, he's alive, okay? And uh, he's somehow been, uh, you know, he's, he's, not, he's, he's not drowned, but he's, he's at the house of a, of a scientist, a good scientist, supposedly, and he's asking for help. And he says, I'm, I have lycanthropy, lock me up in jail, which they do overnight. And, but he still escapes and turns into a werewolf. And, you know, the local uh, police chief turns him over to the doctor and says, you cure him, you know? Yeah. And it's established. Now, this is very different. This, this is a big change. In this, this this script introduces a whole new concept in werewolf mythology, the concept of the scientific theory of werewolfism, okay? So in other words, a werewolf isn't anybody, again, once again, who's killed by a silver bullet. It's not a supernatural curse. It's explained, the, 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 the scientist in this film explains, like, no, the, the, the Dracula is not really supernatural. He's somebody who has, like, a blood disease, and he needs blood. So it's not a supernatural, you know, thing. And he says, and you, Larry Talbot, you're not really a werewolf because of a supernatural curse for being bitten by a werewolf, I suppose a werewolf or a wolf or a disturbed person. You are a werewolf because we found out that you have a brain inflammation of the brain, okay? And it's, 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 it's hitting, you know, the inside of your skull, right. which causes pain and hallucinations. And he says that with the belief that you are a werewolf creates your identity as a werewolf so he gives it a he gives it a scientific medical definition which is very credible like maybe the guy does have an inflamed brain okay yeah. he said it causes he, he said and he says it causes hormonal changes which causes which change of hormones cause you to grow hair so he explains the hair growth and he gives it all a non-supernatural explanation and he says the same thing about dracula okay he tries to cure dracula who's living in the house he's showing up dracula betrays him and um he and dies before he gets in his coffin. But at the end of the film, Larry Talbot, once again, is totally cured by the operation. And uh, Frankenstein is killed. The good scientist turns into a bad scientist. He's killed. But it ends with Larry Talbot totally cured because of they cured his brain inflammation. Right. And, that, and then he appeared as a werewolf in Abbott Costello versus right. Frankenstein. One of my okay. favorite movies. Right, which is just a lot of fun. Okay. Yeah. And I, I believe him and Dracula die at the end, both at the end at the same time, right? Yeah. And uh, yeah, Dracula turns he, into a bat and he leaps up and the Wolfman grabs him and they both plummet into right, the ocean. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Dracula turns into a bat and the Wolfman grabs him and they come. In. So. So. And that's it for the time being, for Lon Chaney's Wolfman. Right. But then Lon Chaney went to Mexico and made another werewolf film. Okay. <laughs> and in 1959, he appeared in this film. Um, it was released in America's Face of the Screaming Werewolf right. by, Jer by Jerry Warren, a, a really kind of hack producer, director who took all these cheap Mexican horror films and added bad footage to them, people just talking endlessly, and released them as kind of new films, and they were all pretty bad. But this film shows Lon Chaney once again turning into a werewolf in Mexico, and it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. That's an hour. It's one of his probably worst films, and... Um, uh, you know, that was kind of the end of the, you know, Lon Chaney being thought of as a werewolf film. I, I believe that's three different films they cut together to make that film. Wow. Uh, 
a, a werewolf film. Uh, the Aztec it was an Aztec. There's a mummy in it. There was an Aztec Mexican Aztec mummy film, and uh, a, a woman. Another film called I think it was called House of Fear, where he did play a werewolf in the Mexican film, but it was meant to be a comedy. So totally crazy film. Now let's go to um, let's go, let's go back to America. Okay, let's go back to America for a minute. And uh, in the it is worth mentioning another werewolf film, but just as quickly, Return of the Vampire, 1943, where Bela Lugosi plays a, a, not Dracula, but another vampire who's during World War II in London during the Blitz. He's released from his coffin, and he has a werewolf uh, kind of flunky who is tr who's trying to be cured, okay? Right. And at the end, they're both cured, and at the end, they're both killed by a Another wartime bomb. Okay, that's one of the few films that relates werewolfism to like war, to like a real life, the world of you know bombs being dropped in war. Okay, so it's kind of a wartime werewolf film. It's really worth seeing. It's on you can find it on the internet pretty easily. It's on YouTube, but it's kind of like a really oddball uh, werewolf film. Right. Now in 19, 1956, there was a werewolf film called The Werewolf. Very low budget film. Columbia produced by Sam Katzman, producer for Columbia, a very low-budget producer. And uh, Werewolf is created in a lab in, 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 in somewhere in the western United States by these two, you know, really kind of unethical scientists. They turn this guy into, a, into like a wolf creature, werewolf, deliberately so he can, to, to prove their theory, that they can create a new super being who will survive a nuclear war, <laughs> okay? <laughs> so it's kind of a real outlandish plot. He escapes from the lab. He goes into this small town and uh, starts killing people. And his wife and kids show up. And it's very tragic. He's a total victim, totally nice guy. He he appears like, as the beginning of the film, like in a three-piece suit with a tie and a vest. He's like a businessman, traveling businessman. He's turned into a wolfman, a werewolf, by these unscrupulous doctors. He kills the scientists at the end, and he's shot himself. So it's, it's a very kind of very downbeat, very somber black and white werewolf film. Yeah. I remember seeing it as a kid. Once again, it's on it's on video daily motion. You can watch it if you want to see kind of, it's kind of almost a depressing film because right. it's not like a, it's kind of not, not like a fun film. It's, you really, you really feel sorry for the guy. Yeah. Yeah. I, re I remember that like depressing me as a kid. It played a lot on TV over the years. I mean, up right, until right. like 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. That did play on TV. And I remember they played it so much. I got sick of watching it. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. <laughs> Now, another film I'm going to talk about, one of the best, is The Curse of the Werewolf, made 19, filmed in 60, appeared in 1961. I saw this movie when I was 10 years old in 1961. That really dates me, okay? <laughs> I, saw, I saw it at a local Lowe's landmark theater now, and boy, that film really blew me away, okay? Oliver Reed, the late Oliver Reed, plays the wolf, the werewolf, and it's based on Guy Andorra's novel, The Werewolf of Paris. Okay, it's considered the, the best werewolf novel ever written, okay? Huh. I, haven't, I haven't read it, but it's supposed to be a very serious novel, which goes into kind of the religious and mythological and historical symbolism of the, the creature, okay? And it's supposedly very, very well-written, very scholarly novel. Yeah. Well, they took this novel and made it into a Hammer film in, in Britain, and it takes place in Spain, in the 1800s, and uh, Oliver Reed plays a young man who is born of the, this uh, woman. She was like a, 
a maid in the house of this count back in the 1800s who was raped by this uh, abused uh, beggar who the count had uh, imprisoned, okay, because he insulted him somehow. And uh, she's, you know, this count was really an evil guy. He dies. And, and she comes to this 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 house of like this landowner who's a very nice guy. He's like a, he's got like a really nice house and he treats her really nicely and they find out she's pregnant and they say, okay, we'll let her live here and bring up the child as our own. Very good, all well and good. So tragic story is going to turn into a good story. The only problem is he's born on Christmas Eve. Right. Okay. <laughs> so it's a religious curse. So, and one of the, one of the, it's always like the servants who are superstitious. One of the servants say, one of the servants, the lady servant says, oh my God, he's going to be born on Christmas Eve, like two weeks before Christmas. That'll be a curse because it's an insult to our Lord to be born on Christmas Eve. And so the, you know, the, the, uh, the count doesn't believe her. The good count doesn't believe her. So no, that's superstition. But he is born on Christmas Eve, the, the, ba the baby who goes out to be Oliver Reed. And, and the count's in the other room and he hears the baby crying as it's born, you know. Then he hears a wolf howling. It's a, it's a yeah. later, okay? Very, very effective scene done with just, it's just a chilling scene. Oh, yeah, yeah. So then they go to the church to baptize him. And when they go for the baptism, as they're baptizing him, the, the, the water they baptize in turns dark and bubbling all of a sudden. And they see like a reflection of one of the demons from the top of the church and how they have the, the old church. Yeah, like, like the gargoyles. Gargoyles, and you see a reflection of a gargoyle, which represents a demon of hell, but you see him in the font, in the baptism font. Okay? Yeah, yeah. So he's baptized with this demon font face lurking in the baptismal water, okay? very It's very well done. It's very eerie and chilling, you know? So he's he grows up to be Oliver Reed, a young man. In the meantime, as, as a child, there's werewolf attacks. His father finds out that his son's doing the attacks as a 10-year-old. So he, he prays for him a lot. He doesn't have attacks. And finally, he grows up, and he's Oliver Reed as like a 20-year-old man. They say, okay, you're, they think he's cured. They send him to another town. He gets a job in a wine factory, and he goes out one night with a friend, gets drunk, gets beat up by thugs, and he turns into a werewolf. He <laughs> 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 starts killing people. They put him in jail. He escapes from jail. And he starts killing more people, and I, I, the makeup is excellent. The, oh yeah! If you remember, have you seen the film? Right? Of course, yeah. Yeah, but it's very, it's very well done. The makeup, it's really, it's a, it's probably next to the Werewolf of London. It's, it's I like it much better than the Lon Chaney one because once again you see the full head of hair, of, of the werewolf hair and the, the sharp ears. You see his face, but it's a face of a wild beast, and the fangs are really huge. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. Really terrifying. I mean, Oliver Reed just pulls it off too because he's such a good right. actor. Yeah, and Oliver Reed, he's, he, he's playing like he turns into like his real his his uncursed self, his non lycanthrope self. He's just very terrified and doesn't know what's going on. He just wants to get married and go away with his you know fiance, and then when he turns into a werewolf. He's totally one hundred percent. It's like a total one hundred percent difference between good and evil and Terrence Fisher often did that in his films people have said that in his Hammer films it's, it's like there wasn't any gray it, you were either good or evil there wasn't any kind of gray area yeah it, it, like in the, the, the Dr. Jekyll film it was either very good Dr. Jekyll or very bad Edward Hyde right and this is a very very good 
you know, young man and a very bad werewolf. So, <laughs> but it's very well done. His father kills him at the end. Uh, it's very, very well done. It's I've got it on Blu-ray. Once again, I'd highly recommend it if you haven't seen it. It's just one of the best werewolf films ever. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I remember... Um, I think when that first came out on videotape, my parents and I rented that because I had heard about it, but it, I didn't, it, for whatever reason, I didn't catch it on TV. So um, we, we rented that, and I remember really loving it then. Yeah, it's, it's a very good film. It, it looks great. I, if you, I don't know if you get into Blu-ray or if you had a big, I, I, I just got like a, another big Sony screen, and I was playing it on there, in my Blu-ray, and boy, does it look great. It just, it, it's like seeing it in the movies all over again, like 50 years ago, you know, nice. 50 years ago. That's awesome. So um, there's one more film I wanted to discuss before we get to Wolfen, which is probably my favorite werewolf film, along with The Howling, called Werewolf in a Girl's Dormitory. Oh, yeah. Italian, Italian-Austrian production, uh, I, written by Ernesto Gastaldi, who's a kind of a, a Facebook friend of mine. Very nice guy. He's in his late 80s now. He wrote really good screenplays for a lot of these Italian horror films, like The Horrible Doctor Hitchcock and the Ghost with Barbara Steele. He wrote several Barbara Steele films. He wrote a lot of Giallo type films, you know, those Giallo mysteries. Yep. He's a very good writer. And it's a very well written film. Kurt Lawrence plays a, you know, the head of a girl's dormitory. It's a girls who are criminal charges and they end up in this school to, you know, learn how to be good girls. But he's a werewolf. Right. <laughs> okay? the, head of the, the head of the school is a werewolf. There's another doctor who was accused of being involved with a girl student. So he's there on, he's on probation with the law for a few years. He can't get in any trouble, but he turns out to be the good guy. And the head of the school who's beyond suspicion turns out to be a werewolf. And his, his, one of the teachers who's a biology teacher there, a female, his, his fiance or wife, just trying to cure him, but he, she can't cure him. He, she ends up dying and he ends up getting killed, you know, by the, teacher who's been suspect all along it's just very well done but once again very good makeup it's totally different than any other than the you know the curse of the werewolf or any of the other ones we've been talking about he really looks monstrous and he's got like a, a face that comes to a point almost very long fangs he's, he's really a wild beast he just tears tears should have killing several of the students he just really tears my heart you know and yeah wow and you know i just rewatched that one the other day and um I, I liked the fact, too, that you don't know exactly who the werewolf is. Right, right. And if he's, you don't suspect him because there's like, there's like a, uh, you know, the, like the groundskeeper is kind of like a, almost like a peeping Tom. He looks like, you know, he, he looks like very suspicious. Yeah. The, the new teacher's got like a, a record of some kind of sex offender, you know what I mean? He's very suspicious. And there's another guy, a teacher who's getting blackmailed by a female student. Yeah. Saying she's going <laughs> to call the cops on him because he's underage. So they're all... Big suspects, okay? And, and the head of the school, you know, the, the schoolmaster seems like a very gentle guy who's trying to calm everybody down, saying, well, you can't accuse these people of things just because they got a bad past, you know what I mean? Yeah. He seems to be the, the voice of reason. You know, totally good person, but he's the werewolf. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so and that's what makes that thing so interesting, you know? Oh yeah, yeah. It's um that, that's a, one of those underrated films too that you don't, yes. you know. You, and it was funny because when you and I were talking off mic, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago about doing this um, particular topic today, and you said Werewolf in a Girl's Dormitory. For some reason, I kept picturing Dean Stockwell, and then I finally remembered. Oh, duh, he's in Werewolf of Washington. 
<laughs> right, right. That's a pretty interesting film too. It's not, it's not that well made, but it, no. it's, it's just, it's a very interesting idea that you'd have a, uh, you see some kind of pol- politician or something. He's, he's turning into a werewolf, yeah. and killing people. It was, it was filmed during the Watergate hearings, and it's just, if it was better done, Dean Stockwell is very good in it too. It's Dean Stockwell, isn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's very good in it. If, if it was, if I think, it was, if it had a better director, it would have been, um, um, I think, uh, a better film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I haven't seen a bad DVD of it, so it doesn't look that good. Oh, there's only bad copies of that movie out there. I don't know what that's all about. Right. So some movies just don't. I think it was just a bomb at the box office. Okay, uh, before I get to Wolfen, which is the main film I wanted to talk about, there's one film I forgot to talk about in the 1940s. We talked about so many. It was called The Undying Monster, directed by Jean Brahm. Very good director who directed The Lodger, which is kind of like a Jack the Ripper tale and uh, kind of... That relates to the werewolf mythology too, and this was called the Undying Monster, and it was made like in the it was made in 1942, and the mo- monster there is a it's a family curse. It all takes place in a mansion on the top of a mountain, in on the moors of northern England. There's no city scene in it. it, it it's a, it's all takes place in this rural area. I think it's all filmed on sets, even the exteriors. And the camera, the camera work is very good in it. It's very gothic. It's a lot of shadows and moving camera around the, the moors and behind trees and showing the werewolf lurking behind big rocks, you know, and it, it's very well done. And uh, the, the werewolf is just one of the family and he's, he's cursed. Supposedly the family is cursed. Right. It's had a curse going on for generations and he is the most recent uh receiver of the curse and he turns into a werewolf only he's not really the typical werewolf like the wolf man he's he's, he's hairy but he, he doesn't he, he it tells from his point of view he says yes he said i was out in the moors and then all of a sudden everything became blurry and i felt like there was somebody breathing down my neck everything went red and he goes i felt the werewolf near me but what he's, he's describing is his own experience is turning into a werewolf so it's one of the few ones werewolf films where he gets a description from the werewolf's point of view of what it's like to turn into a werewolf that you you're hearing things everything's going out of focus you lose touch of reality everything turns red and you become a werewolf but he doesn't realize he's a werewolf right <clears throat> he's and it, that's what makes that film unique and very very eerie and very interesting besides the very atmospheric photography at the end, they explain it that yeah, he was. Um, he thought he was cursed, and he he almost as a form of self hypnosis, he almost turned himself into a werewolf, and he was uh, he was being treated with some kind of poison to try to recover from this. Some the doctor was treating him with some kind of dangerous drug, which could be a which could be poisonous to some people to cure him. The family doctor kept quiet about it, and it's almost like a it's almost like a you have a recovering alcoholic in the family that's kept quiet, you know, and you go to rehab, it doesn't work, and nobody talks about it until it's too late, until the guy kills somebody or something like that. So it's a, it's a very downbeat, a very atmospheric story told from the werewolf's point of view, and that's one I really like also. That's that's all I'll say about that. Um, well, I just wanted to say, you, you recommended this to me to watch, and I did, and, you know, I'd never heard of this movie before, and right. I got on YouTube, and apparently they have the Blu-ray version on YouTube. 
Um, right. So, uh, first of all, it was beautiful. The, the print was just amazing. Um, I, I really, really loved this movie. I, I think yes. it's a hidden gem. Um, I think so, too. I love the fact that the two main investigators are ghost hunters. They're like experienced yeah. ghost hunters. This is like, what, you know, 60, 70 years before we started getting ghost hunters on TV in real life. Yes. And these guys took it seriously. It was a guy and a woman. And she also could just sense the werewolf. She thought that would, But she thought it was a ghost, but she knew it was something different. And they had this real funny dynamic between them. And, um, you know, and the, the other the girl that's sort of the female lead in this movie was a strong character as well. And this, this movie is, I think, it's um, ahead of the game because it's got two strong female leads, uh, Heather Angel yes. and Heather Thatcher. Yes, yes, it does. And they're very intelligent women, yes. Yeah. And strong will, they're strong will, intelligent women. And the males are all weak will. Except or, for the or, detective. Except for the detective. Now, he is a ghost hunter. He's very professional. Yeah. He looks at, he uses like, uh, he uses like slides. He uses like uh, chemistry to solve crimes. Yeah. And he, he figures out who the werewolf is, but it's too late for the werewolf. So that's, that's all interesting. Plus, upon the fact that it's, told at least in one scene from the werewolf's point of view it's it's, it's only like an hour long or something hour 10 minutes. yeah it's like yeah it's 65 a, minutes it's, it's a very good film yeah it's, it's just, it's, now it's what i want to know is, is the camera no go ahead no i'm, I'm done oh, okay yeah i was gonna say because this thing looks like a universal uh, production but it's from done by fox 20th century fox yes can you tell us you know why is this film not more well known i've like i said i've never heard of it and i've you know been living in horror movies since 1972 i don't know i think because it gets overshadowed by uh the wolfman number one and number two the title isn't really a com commercial title it's the undying monster okay so people maybe would think that it's not that commercial of a title people think of well it's about a Undying. It, it just sounds like a really downbeat, odd title, which may have turned people off. So I think it's got something to do with the title. Werewolf. The werewolf is not mentioned in the title. The Wolfman was out at the same time, and that was getting huge business. So it kind of got overshadowed by oh, okay. more popular yeah, werewolf. Yeah, that makes films. sense. But when people see it, they like it. Yeah, I saw it. I liked it. I just I had never heard of it before. I saw it. I, I found out about it from. Uh, I can't remember. I don't even think it was on television. I found out about it. I think a video. Somebody had an old videotape they gave to me of it, and I watched it. And it took me years to. And I still don't have a good videotape. I've, I've seen, the best version I've seen is a version on YouTube. That's uh, I don't have the DVD, the Blu-ray yet, but I will get it. And yeah, it, it's really well done. Oh really yeah, well yeah. Done. And and the camera work is just very very well done. You know the way it starts out with the camera roving around the house. You hear the bell, you know the clock. Oh yeah, chiming. yeah. That's it, 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 just that's just, and there's not even any dial. It just establishes a lot of things visually, which is, I think is very good for a film to do. Oh yeah, there's so many little touches to it, like just the whole mystery of it. Like, why aren't there any footprints, or why didn't the dog react? You know, when right, whatever right. it was it, came in. Yeah, and it makes and they wrap it up. It's well written because it's very logical. And it, it, it and at the same time, it's, it's got a lot of atmosphere, and it doesn't depend on the supernatural. That's what I find interesting. Yeah, yeah. Now I've, I've got one more film I'm going to talk about. I'm not going to say that much because I'm losing my voice. You can end it here, and uh, I can end it here because I'm going to start stop being able to talk. It's called Wolfen, 1981, 
Wolfen, W-L-F-E-N, based on the Whitley Street novel. It came out at the same time as The Howling, which you've already discussed to a certain degree, which was an updated werewolf film directed by Joe Dante. Yeah. And it's about a mental illness facility run by Patrick McNee, which uh, puts werewolves in recovery from mental illness or addiction or whatever you want to call it. It's a recovery center up the coast from L.A. And uh, a reporter, female reporter, goes there to check it out. And it turns out that it's a, it's the, it's a place, a meeting place for werewolves. They're not curing werewolves. They're, 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 they're using it as a hideout for werewolves, okay? And to create a whole new werewolf cult there, okay? And uh, uh, it's got all these interesting homages to uh, all the old Universal films. Like all the characters are named after horror were- directors who directed werewolf films, yeah. <laughs> okay? Like, like Freddie Francis, Terrence Fisher, um, all, all the director, all, all the characters are named after directors of werewolf films from the nineteen from the nineteen thirties onwards, up to Hammer films. And anybody but a film but non film buffs might not know that, but that's one thing. And then they use a clip from the Wolfman at the very end of the yep. film. It shows a clip from the werewolf, very very effective ending. And it just has a lot of stuff, a lot of you know nods to the Universal which the director Joe Dante obviously was a big fan of. He's, he was a film critic before he was a director. Right. And it's a very good film. It's very well written. And it kind of overshadowed that in American Werewolf in London, which we discussed to a certain degree, yep. overshadowed Wolfen because there was three big werewolf films. That time, Wolfen didn't make its money back at the box office. It cost like $10 million to make or $8 million. It, yeah. it hardly made a profit. I saw it in the theater back then because I had a feeling it was going to be pretty good, pretty interesting. Yeah, I did too. And there, was, there was hardly anybody in the theater. Yeah. I, mean, I remember, I remember I, I, there was like maybe 20, 30 people in the theater, you know what I mean, which is not very many people in the theater, you know, on a, on a Friday night or something. And I was surprised there wasn't anybody there. But it's about a Native American folklore take on the, on the werewolf topic on lycanthropy. They, they turn into like super beasts. These Native American steel workers, this one steel worker in particular, played by James Olmos, turns into like a, a super beast along with these other uh, Native Americans to kind of get revenge on the ruling class white people who wiped them out in the 19th century and have abused them and ignored them in the 20th century, you know, took over their land. So it's kind of got like a, a social, a, a politically correct theme. It's got like a, a social theme, which is very tragic the treatment of the Native Americans in this country's history. And it's a horror film at the same time, a very effective one, because the wolves are really, really well done. They turn into actual wolves, not werewolves, but wolves. Right. The werewolves are human beings turned to wolves, but they're actual wolves, and they look they look like real, huge, frightening, terrifying wolves, okay? Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and they tear people apart. It opens with this, like, guy, this millionaire po- political guy. He's like a a millionaire with in New York City who's got political ambitions. He's kind of like the Donald Trump character of his era, and he's he's killed like in the he's dies by an attack by these wolf monsters in Battery Park down in New York City after a party one night. He's out there at three o'clock in the morning with his with his uh, with his bodyguard and his wife, and they're all killed. And Albert Finney plays a tough detective who tries to investigate it. It's a police procedural, and he finds out that these creatures, these Native American 
uh, face shapeshifters are actually turning into wolves and killing people. Right. And there's just a lot of grisly stuff, grisly autopsies, grisly attack scenes. It has a very, very downbeat ending, but very interesting ending. We we find out that these creatures aren't going to are going to be around. They're with us. These creatures have been around. Like the, one of the Native Americans meets him in the bar and tells him, you know, these these these. He says we've been around since twenty thousand B.C. You know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the Native Americans in this country, and these creatures have been around, and our ability to change and shapeshift. So we're like twenty thousand years old. We're not going anywhere. It's going to be around. We're gonna we're gonna do what we want to people. We're gonna kill people. We're gonna we're gonna get payback for our, the way we were treated. And he's told that, and that's kind of at the end. You have a feeling that that's going to be the future. So it's kind of almost like a science fiction. It's the same. It's almost like kind of political science fiction, if you would say, which I find to be a very interesting genre. You know? hmm. And uh, very very well written, very intelligently written. Directed by Michael Wadley, who directed. Um, Woodstock in 1970 about the Woodstock gathering, very counter, that was a countercultural event, and the, the film appeals to the counterculture, the, co- the counter, the very real con- counterculture of Native Americans. That's what it's all about. It's very grisly. It's very, it's very action-packed. It's really fascinating, but it didn't, it, it didn't succeed at the box office. It, the reviewers, I don't think, understood it. They thought it was just you know another gory film, but I, it's one of my favorite. Along with the howling, I would say, and uh, the curse of the werewolf, Undying Monster, a few of these films. It's just one of the better, I think, uh, all-time werewolf films. It takes it, and I think my favorites tend to take a unique twist on the. Right. It's a, it's it's a far cry from the Kurt Siodmak, uh Wolfman. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's it, it, all the movies that you mentioned here: the Howling, the Wolfen, and American Wolf in London. All came out in 1981, and right. that was an amazing year, not only for werewolf movies, but just for horror in general. And you know, I saw all three of those in the theater. My parents took me to see all three of those, and I so loved them I, all. Yeah. Right. You know. Well, that was that was your Reagan got elected president too. <laughs> Did it say that, that again? Was, me, that was the year the Reagan first year of the Reagan era. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it was a, it was just a good time all around, and uh, you know we these these movies are just um, like on on then is now podcast. I just did a series on it's still actually um, being released till the end of the month where we discussed vampire films um, every day. I have put out you know the last thirteen days of the of October. I put out thirteen episodes. And it's just interesting how to watch the progression of vampire movies and werewolf movies over the decades and how every so often, um, you know, a director will try to deconstruct the genre and do things a little differently. So, you know, and then every every so often they start to go back to the old, you know, the, the Lon Chaney Jr. way of doing things. You know, it's it's just an interesting pattern that I've noticed. You're totally right, and that's what I like. That the, the films we've talked about here are ones that have stood out to me, and especially a film like Wolfman. I mean, I re- really take it in a whole new direction, and that's what I would recommend. Well, I want to thank you for inviting me, Roger. I've totally lost my voice now. Oh, geez. So I'm not going to be able to say anymore, but it's been great, and I hope we hope we've opened some people's minds up to seeing some alternative werewolf movies. Yep, yep, and I'll put this list on the um, show notes for the folks at home. And also our websites, 
And, um, you know, you can you can find us there, and we'd love to get your feedback. So if you want to email us, email us at havenpodcasts at gmail.com and let us know your feedback. And join us again for our next episode of The Cult Movie Lounge. like the one you just heard check out the dorkening podcast network at the dorkening.com